said, I don't intend to be a laborer all my life. And that's why I've been trying to learn from books. I think with school, maybe I can become a man that works with his head instead of his back. And I will never stop trying. I know that I am far behind, but I will catch up. At this remark, Sarah said, Dad, I have a wonderful idea. Then turned to Peter and said, I have less than a year to finish high school, and then I will be going to teacher's college. Why can't I become your teacher? It would help you, and it would also help me learn to become a better teacher. Peter felt uncomfortable with that, and it was quite obvious that the idea was not taking hold with Jim either. Katie stepped in said, Lass, you're not a teacher yet and you have your own studies to worry about. I think Peter can find another real teacher, and you can continue your studies and prepare yourself for college. But Sarah was getting very excited. She was eager for the opportunity of being able to instruct, and she pressed on. She said, Mom, I would love the opportunity and the experience, and I would promise you that if I find out that I'm really not ready for this and I'm holding him back, I will admit it and he can find himself a regular teacher. Peter was feeling quite embarrassed because he felt that he was causing a rift in the family and he apologized to them and he said, I appreciate your thoughts, Sarah, but your parents are right. Your own schooling comes first and I will be able to find another teacher. Please forgive me, but I have to be going and he got up, and Jim led him to the door. Peter then turned to Jim and said, I'm sorry if I caused trouble. And Jim had said to him, don't worry. Sarah's headstrong like her father, but we'll talk to her and make her understand. Welcome back to Legacy. I'm Helena Drago. For the past few episodes, my husband Ty Drago and my father-in-law Tony Drago have been taking you on their book writing journey. Ty has been writing a novel based on tape recordings that provide a story imagined over 25 years ago by Tony. Ty has hit his stride and has been writing consistently every day at least 1,500 words. He has a clear story arc in his head now, and he's writing at a nice clip. So, appropriately, we will be talking about story arc this week. What is it? What does it look like in different genres? And, as always, we will provide examples from the story he is writing. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. Here's Ty explaining what a story arc is. Story arc, or a narrative arc, is a tool that writers have that allows them to look at their plot to say, okay, what's going to be in broad strokes the flow of the story? It's a way to map out climaxes and determine the pacing. It's a tremendously useful tool because it helps the writer feel like they have more control over the story. I've heard a number of writers complain to me, oh, you know, I start writing, I kind of get lost, and I, I, I don't know where to go with it. That's because they're not doing this. A narrative arc centers you. Once you've done the narrative arc, you can, as you're writing, you can 
put little marks on the arc to indicate where you think you are in the story and really helps you move forward. Okay, so what's the tool? It's a bell curve. You take a piece of paper or, you know, like a chalkboard or whiteboard or something and you draw on it a bell curve. The left-hand side is the start of your story. The right-hand side is the end of your story. And then you have the slope of the curve, which helps you understand the pacing of the story. And then you have the zenith of the curve, the top of the curve, which is a climax. And depending on the kind of story you're writing, determines the shape and the depth of the curve. For example, a mystery story, most mystery stories have two climaxes, two moments when the story shifts dramatically. The first is where the, when the murder is discovered, when it first happens. So the bell curve in a mystery story starts off very, very sharply. You're introduced to a bunch of characters in the first chapter and boom, somebody's dead. And then the bell curve begins to slide back down again as witnesses are being interviewed and the detectives are coming in and they're figuring all the different angles. And so the curve is sweeping back down. And then as the detective reaches a point where he's scratching his head and has no idea what's going on here, you've just hit rock bottom of the curve. Now the detective gets some kind of clue. Some new piece of information comes in that, that flips him and he realizes, ah, this is starting to come together. The bell curve starts to roll back up again, and the climax hit when it hits when he gathers all the suspects together and says, and the murderer is. The bell curve in a mystery generally drops off pretty precipitously after that, the climax, because there might be a little wrap-up, but you're done. So it just rolls off like a cliff sometimes. A bell curve for an, a thriller tends to start out at its lowest point and then slowly builds as the action and the and suspense builds up to some pivotal moment where the hero and the, and the and the villain meet and that's the climax and then like a mystery it may drop off precipitately or there might be a, a slower decline as they're wrapping up romances you have to look at a romance a little differently a romance comes in the boy meets girl scene might be a climax the boy loses girl scene might be a climax and the boy wins girl back scene at the very end might be a climax so if you're using that format you might have three climaxes your story has a narrative arc because the narrative arc is the pace of the story. How sharply paced your story is decides how, how smooth that line is, whether, you know, whether or not that line is, is rising you know, like a, a rocket in, in toward, toward the top or whether it's a, a slow incline. You need to understand that. That is the narrative arc. Whether or not you decide to use, to actually use the tool and actually draw your narrative arc, that's a personal choice. So what shape is the bell curve of this story? This story has, as far as I can tell, two climaxes. This is a saga. When I drew the curve, I saw two climaxes. The first occurs in the very beginning, like the second chapter, and the last occurs toward the end. Rather like a mystery in that regard, but for different reasons. But along the way, there are bumps. Sagas tend to be episodic. This book is separated into parts, and each part has a little climax of its own. So there are little bumps along the way. You may be wondering what the story in the beginning of the podcast has to do with story arc. Me too. Peter, our protagonist, is having a conversation with Jim Hannafin and his wife Katie and daughter Sarah. Now, it seems like an okay story, but it has very little tension and certainly no climax. Here's a little bit more of the story from Tony, followed by Ty's explanation as to why he chose this particular story to demonstrate story arc. 
Later, Jim Hannafin found out that his daughter Sarah was more than just headstrong. She could be extremely persuasive, and she was smart enough not to work on Jim, but to work on her mother, and also disgusted with her teachers at school who agreed that it would be good experience for her if she could get the opportunity to do it. Armed with this information from her teachers, she pursued her mother until finally her mother not only could see no harm in it, but also thought it might be very helpful for her daughter. Her daughter promised that it would only be for two hours one evening. Right there in their dining room, Katie could see no harm in that since her daughter would be in her own home and Peter seemed like a nice enough man. And with her mother's insistence, Jim Hannafin finally had to relent and went to Peter and asked him to give Sarah a chance at helping him with his education. And Peter, realizing that this was an offer not only of education but a firmer friendship, felt he was hardly in a position to refuse. And so his education continued under the guidance of Sarah Hannafin. I chose that story because it's actually a very pivotal moment in Peter's life, although he doesn't know it yet. Like many pivotal moments in our lives, we don't always know when they're happening. Something happens and you can say, wow, you know, 10 years later, geez, that changed everything, didn't it? That's like when you and I met. It's like when you and I met, you walked in the door and <laughs> I had no idea I'd be married to you 18 months later. <laughs> In the next episode, we're going to get into the hero's journey. But that was Peter on his hero's journey, taking a big leap forward. I don't know if you want me to do the spoiler. Yeah, no spoilers. But I want you to imagine this. You have a piece of paper. You have a bell curve on the very left-hand side of the paper that represents the story's first climax. Then that descends, and then you have a series of smaller hills that represent key events that occur over the course of the book. Even as those smaller hills are continuing, they're also moving a little upward, the trending upward. It's that trending upward that this story begins. Right at that moment is when Peter begins to become American. And yeah, I agree with you. It's an innocuous little anecdote, but in context and, and in, in hindsight, it's huge. That little snippet was foreshadowing because it was clear to me what was going to happen. You say, oh, they'll be tutoring in the dining room. So nothing will happen. Is this going to lead into something? Oh, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I'm not going to give you too much, but suffice it to say that a romance is brewing here. And my father actually handles this romance extremely delicately. Does he? Yes. I'm very impressed. This book does not have a, too many female characters in it, but Sarah is easily the best of them. She is strong-willed. She is intelligent. She knows what she wants. I mean, when we meet her, she is 17 years old. Do you think this is your mom? I know it's my mom. Oh, that is too sweet. My father, when I, I mentioned in the first episode, married a Quaker lady, and she was the daughter of a well-to-do waspish American there are some parallels here. Remember I told you that Peter turns from my grandfather into my father? This is when that change happens. I 
wish we could talk to your dad. Oh, well. Sarah's fighting an uphill battle because Peter is a man of tremendous honor. And there are certain things you do and there are certain things you don't. And this is a spoiler here. We can decide to use it or not. When it becomes evident to Big Jim that Sarah has feelings for Peter. Big Jim's not an idiot. Peter's only 19. He's also, you know, uneducated, has few prospects. He goes to Peter and he says, I don't know how to say this to you, but I think it would be best if you stayed away from the house for a while. It has become obvious to me that Sarah has feelings for you. And Peter's aghast. Big Jim's, this isn't your fault. She's a young woman. She has romantic attitudes. She sees you as exotic and, and strong and a good man, and she's drawn to that. But she has a future, and this, this isn't a good match. And Peter's response is, you're absolutely right. People should stay with their own kind, Peter Ooh. says. That's what he says. That would have been Peter's attitude at the time. 1911. Peter has had a lot of problems with anti-immigrant discrimination. Big Jim is one of the few exceptions of Americans he has met who have been welcoming to him. Most of the time, he stays in South Philadelphia with the other Italian immigrants that live in the community now. He understands on an instinctive level that there's trouble here. So he tells Jim, flat out, kind should stay with kind, and Jim absolutely agrees. Let me interrupt you. Fire away. Even though I know we're supposed to be talking about romance right now and how to build a romance, I'm loving the parallel of what's going on in modern society with immigrants and what's going on a hundred years ago yeah. with immigrants. You know, it doesn't change. What What is that? Wow, when you especially consider my dad recorded these words a quarter century ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things haven't changed from 1992 and they haven't changed from 1910. They haven't changed from 1860 when the Irish were coming in by in droves. That's a weird thing to realize, but... Yeah. Let's talk about the romance aspect. Let's go back to the romance aspect. (laughs) Get the politics out, Todd. (laughs) Keep bringing up politics. (laughs) Peter breaks off the teaching. The teaching stops. Sarah finds out about this, the conversation that her father had with Peter, and explodes. She sits down with her father, and she says to him, all you do is tell me what a fine man Peter Donatello is. And now you're telling me I can't see him? Listen to me. You want to keep your daughter? You stay out of this. I have plans for him. You stay out of this. (laughs) And then she goes and tells mom. So mom comes down the stairs and both of them lay into Big Jim. And poor Big Jim gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so Big Jim goes back to Peter and says, listen. I'm completely wrong about this. Why don't you come back and talk to Sarah about it? And you'll see I was completely mistaken. So Peter comes back and he tells Sarah, Sarah, I've enjoyed the teaching you've given me, but there can never be anything between us because kind should stay with kind. And Sarah says, Peter, I completely agree with you. We should not have any sort of a personal relationship. I will continue to teach you English. I will continue to teach you math. I will continue to to advance your education. And in the process, I will become a better teacher myself for it. And Peter says, I feel I should pay you for all this that you're doing for me. I have money now. I can pay you. And she says, no, no payment is necessary. I told you, I am learning from you as much as you are learning from me. Meanwhile, Big Jim, and this is all in Dad's tapes, is in the back thinking, looking at Peter and thinking to himself, oh, you'll pay. You'll pay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so let's try to put all that together because we started talking about narrative arc and then we got into where that clip fits into Peter's narrative arc or the, the story's narrative arc. Um, when I mentioned earlier that you had the initial climax and you had a series of, of bumps that kept trending upward, that trending upward is in part this romance. So when you're writing your narrative arc, it's important to bear in mind that stories have your main plot, then you have subplots, and some subplots are more important than others. And in this one, a key transformative subplot is the romance between Peter and Sarah. Here's something you need to understand about narrative arcs. If a story were an engine, the gasoline that runs that engine is conflict. The minute your story has no conflict, no problem to be solved, you basically, you stall. You're dead in the water. The story stops moving. So there must always be some kind of conflict. Romance novels, conflict is the chase. In a classic romance novel, whether the girl is chasing the boy or the boy is chasing the girl, it's that chase that is the conflict. It is the chase that must be overcome, and it's that which keeps the story going. In a story like this, which has many different kinds of conflict in it, this romance is one of them. What I find interesting about it is that the instigator and the driver of it for the, at least the beginning, is Sarah. Sarah is the one who is chasing. Sarah is the one who, through gentle persuasion, that reminds me a lot of my mother, is pursuing Peter and trying to win his heart. That's really sweet. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, actually. I don't think it was conscious, but I do think that he thought of a great love in his life and of course who is he going to think of he's going to think of your mother yeah and she was a gentle persuader she was as a writer how do you incorporate romance into your novel as a writer a you should because romance of one form or another belongs in most novels to one degree or another. A key element of the human experience, I mean, all of us either have romance or want it in our lives. As a writer, if you want to make your characters connect with the reader, put them together. Take a protagonist or another protagonist and bring them together. In this case, it's more of a secondary character, but that's all right. Make the secondary character, bring them together. I can already see that Sarah is going to have to be a POV because she's a, a great character. And I'm looking POV forward to is point, of point of view. I beg your pardon. Yes, point of view. I'm going to be telling the story through Sarah's eyes at least part of the time because she is such a terrific character. But yeah, every writer needs to understand their characters enough to recognize whether or not a romance will work. And if it will, they should employ it because it is something that makes every single character to your reader more human and more relatable. It's going to play a key part in that slope for your bell curve. That was a lot of information about narrative arc. Ty and I were going to talk just about narrative arc, but the romance between Peter and Sarah kept asserting itself in our conversation. So we took the opportunity to include a little bit of Ty's thoughts on how to incorporate a romance into a novel. Join us in two weeks' time when we will be talking about a hero's journey. 
How and why a writer should provide a goal for its protagonist. How that hero should go after its goal. And how a writer should engage the reader in that pursuit. you are enjoying Legacy, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating. And as always, thanks for listening. The music you're listening to is called One Step Closer by Akash Gandhi, found on YouTube's library.